AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Last week, uh, Matt gave us a little bit of a precursor to some stuff we ultimately got to see this week. Weren't quite sure what it was, but uh, Stan cleared it up for us today with the news about this Satori botnet. Is it a new botnet or is it something that's been around for a while? But I know it's made a big, uh, a big hit this week. Yes. So you could say yes to both of those versions. So has it been around for a while? Maybe not in this variant of it. The botnet we're talking about is Satori. And I guess last week, early on in the week, 360 released a blog post that said that their systems detected an uptick in scanning activity against two ports, which they attributed to this new botnet called Satori. And the thing that was explained is that it's actually built on top of Mirai, but the difference here is it's got these vulnerabilities uh, that were programmed into it to take advantage. And this is not new. On their initial blog post, they posted this interesting diagram uh, at the moment that the botnet kind of blew up and hit that shows you know, the number of uh, unique IP addresses that are doing scanning activity. Two hours after the blog posting went live, they were noticing the kill command for scanning going to all of the botnets, which is interesting because I want to show you next. So from the blog post, uh, you know, this is the diagram we saw. I kind of went back and I said, hey, what do we see now that it's a week later? And this blue part of the chart represents that 37215 activity, which is the zero day against the Huawei home gateway routers potentially. And then the orange area here, that's the other port. And you could really see the spike and actually correlates so beautifully with the reporting. And you could see the sharp drop. The measure here on the side is the number of devices scanning. So potentially at its peak, it indicates maybe how many devices are in the in the botnet. Now, what are these red little dots on top? Actually, the one looks like a big line. So we have a system that can detect anomalies that are happening against certain ports. And so these red dots, they actually represent anomalies that occurred that were detected against port 37215. One thing that you'll notice is what are all these dots in the blank area right. of the chart? Right. What does that mean? Usually when you see something like that with our system, that actually indicates uh, a precursor to the botnet activity. Generally some kind of testing uh, that maybe an adversary is doing. So I went ahead and I looked at it. This chart actually represents the scan flow volume, scan flows basically that are scanning for these ports. It's different than the number of IP addresses in the previous chart. And when I looked at how many IP addresses there were, it was just one or two. So usually this is a great correlation to, hey, this is an adversary testing out this exploit, you know, seeing how much luck he'll have with it. Maybe he's even starting to recruit that early set of uh, initial devices before he's gonna kind of, I guess, infect everyone. And you could see a week before, you know, it turned into this big botnet, there's this testing phase going on. So I took a look at the data that we have, and I noticed that as early as November 22nd, uh, the system that we have picked up a single US IP address responsible for all the scanning. What's more interesting, is I call this the scanning profile, is what other ports did this IP address scan? 
23 we know is associated with telnet vulnerabilities there really for building botnets 8081 all of these actually are known 3333 is not well known to me so it's something we're going to have to research and you could see the other two vulnerabilities as well what's interesting is in the public reporting you know this port 3333 is not mentioned but also we don't see a large volume of this 3333 activity in general scanning so it might mean that during this initial discovery phase the adversary determined that that's not going to get him the biggest bang for the buck. Yep. So he decided to pull back. What's interesting is the very next day, there was already an additional IP address in doing the same scanning and even had introduced another port to scan. So these are all interesting things to kind of pay attention to because they represent maybe other devices that this adversary is going to scan next or try to find vulnerabilities against next. And in later days, there were more IP addresses. I believe they're all kind of related to the same adversary. Um, and there, you know, there were even other ports like 49431. Pretty interesting finding, I think. And it was actually interesting to see how, like, you know, the public reporting and then the data we have helped us find this earlier kind of activity, this earlier adversary activity. We were able to identify these three IP addresses uh, that were doing scanning. They weren't just scanning these two ports. They were scanning other ports and were able to learn other things that these adversaries might be interested in. Potentially, they indicate other types of IoT devices or routers that might be vulnerable that the adversary was trying to test out. So I think we've learned a few things there uh, that we're able to share with the community here. Hey, Jim, uh, I hear you have a story about more, I guess, exposed credentials on the dark web. Julio Casal, the CTO of 4IQ, discovered a database um, on a, a server in the dark web that was providing username and passwords, total of about 1.4 billion uh, credential combinations that were found out there from a number of breaches over the last few years. The interesting thing about this one was that they had these in a database that made it simple to query. So, you know, folks could look up for example, passwords for root or admin or administrator, and in a couple of seconds come up with a couple hundred thousand passwords that were used in, in conjunction with the username root or the username admin. Even after all of these breaches, folks don't necessarily go and change their passwords. So, you know, a good 25% or more of these are probably still valid. And because of the way this database is set up, you know, somebody could use this to target a particular organization. They could search this database, come up with a whole bunch of passwords, and could potentially try to use those in, in targeted attacks. Folks don't like to change passwords. Um, it's a chore. So, you know, this list becomes very useful for hackers looking to compromise other, uh, you know, other people. The collection itself is nothing particularly new, but the database and the way they've organized it and the way they've got it set up so that it does, that, you know, you can query it in a timely fashion does make this somewhat worrisome. I would say that you're, you're, your guesstimate of 25% of them still being valid is probably being very kind, right? Probably low, uh, yeah. I think it's going to be higher than 50% of them. But you're right. I mean, these things are clearly going to be, I mean, this list 
becomes the de facto list that is now used in all your password cracking tools. And the, the really disgusting part of it was they listed the top 40, and these top 40 passwords are all of the bad passwords that we've been talking about for, you know, 20 years. Number one was one, two, three, four, five, six. Number two was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, Password was number four. Password one was number nine. <laughs> the only new one that I saw in the list was at number 13, and that was Homeless Spa. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Just when you think about the number of passwords that are in this database or the number of credentials, how is that the password that made it to spot 13? The typical I love you, monkey, dragon, QWERTY, QWE123, you know, all of the... The standard ones, the ones that are on the same row on the keyboard or the same column on the keyboard, yeah, all of these bad passwords we've been talking about forever, that's what's in the top 40 of this. People continue to use them. And it's got me thinking it's probably time, sometime after the first of the year, for me to do another uh, pass through, see what we're catching in our honeypots. There's a constant reminder to just, you know, always make sure your passwords are secure if possible using two-factor authentication instead of just solely relying on passwords, making sure your passwords are different for different websites. So Manny, I understand you were looking at a story on the shortage of cybersecurity professionals out there? This story here is not anything that we haven't really covered you know on this show before and the hope is i think that every every time we do this story is that the next time we do the story we'll you know have some miraculous turnaround but unfortunately what we are seeing is that it's not right it's it's still heading in the wrong direction we're talking about you know in the millions of unfilled jobs today in the cybersecurity field. This cybersecurity ventures company, which is a research firm, they're predicting that by 2021, there's gonna be 3.5 million unfilled jobs, cybersecurity jobs. They're also predicting that by 2021, cyber crime is going to reach about $6 trillion. Wow. When you look at figures like that, you understand why cybersecurity is so important right? And why they think that it's going to continue to become more and more important because cybercrime's not stopping, right? Reason one that they go into is the community doesn't take the cybersecurity workforce shortage seriously enough. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? They basically are underestimating, you know, this actual problem. And I think one of the things that the article gets into is the differences between polls and actual research. So, you know, you ask 500 people, they answer the question, and then they extrapolate and they, you know, say this is some number, as opposed to, you know, a company that goes out and does some hard research on this stuff. And then reason two, universities are not graduating enough students with cybersecurity experience. Another one that is kind of, you know, like a no-duh, they actually have in Forbes in 2016, in basically the top 10 U.S comp sci degrees, they do not have at all a single course in cybersecurity, wow. which is amazing. Amazing that you could literally come out of college with a comp sci degree and not know the first thing about security.
That's interesting, especially since they make you take like uh, liberal arts <laughs> in history. I remember those were my trouble areas. Right. This next one, young people are not getting involved and exposed to cybersecurity early enough. I think this one's key. You look at, you know, the, our kids that are going through school today, you know, it's like, I know at least in my kids, they don't get any kind of exposure to even any kind of computers until they hit high school. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Sure, they're moving into some technologies where now they're giving, you know, kids like iPads and stuff so they can, you know, they have technology in their hands. But an actual like course in any kind of security does, isn't even offered, at least, you know, where I am until you reach high school, which I think is just too late. Right. Another thing that's probably not offered is like the privacy considerations of using, using the computing device. So exactly. That's what actually makes me worry more in that's, my kids' school. Exactly. Like, yeah, right. Offering up students, like let's say, in, you know, where they offer an iPad, but don't teach the proper use. Yeah. Right. That's what I mean, I'm that's about right. one reason for organizations aren't cross training their IT workers. There is no training right now for basically their IT departments. So you've got like support specialists, network administrators, programmers, web developers right. who are working, who don't get any kind of exposure to security. We all know what happens when that, you know, when you have that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then this last reason, um, I, IT leaders have bought into the idea that artificial intelligence and cognitive security will solve the labor crisis. I've been hearing that since I got started in the industry 35 years ago, right. that AI was coming and, no, you need to teach folks how to, how to do their jobs securely. Maybe someday all of this technology will magically do everything that people have been predicting for forever, but... One real one that jumped out at me was really the reason behind, you know, not having cybersecurity being taught earlier in our youth, basically. There's still too few courses that are offered up as part of cybersecurity today. The figures here basically say there is a 0% unemployment rate for, you know, for folks that are leaving college today with a, with a degree in, in either comp sci or, or cybersecurity. Yeah, and it's a very exciting field. That's why I'm proud to be a part of it. <laughs> it's fun. Right. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not worried about ever running out of interesting things to work on until I'm ready to retire. We're putting, you know, tablets and mobile devices and laptops and you know in into use hands, and yet we're not really explaining the security aspect of this. This was my first week doing the internet weather. I hope uh, Matt and John and uh, everybody else can be proud uh, uh, that I represented them well. I think we made similar discoveries as usual, except uh, for this Satori botnet port. So 445 still a problem. You know, we had the old vulnerabilities and the new vulnerabilities with things like double pulsar eternal blue eternal romance, basically wanna cry. And then our friend 37215TCP popped out almost 9,000 spots up to become number seven uh, this week. And this is related to the Satori botnet. In the previous story, we kind of covered some of this, and I'll show, show you some of this uh, again, kind of in retrospect, as it relates to 37215. 2323, it's not clear what that's associated with, but it's a common like alias port for Tallnet. Here's something interesting. So, like I said, about the same time last year, or like about September or so, Mirai came out and it was really doing a lot of heavy scanning 
for 2323 TCP. And Satori was recently released just last week. And it's, it's a variant of Mirai, but you could see how much bigger the scan SIP volume is. There's many more participants, at least in, in that one segment. So basically, this is something that's you know kind of went dead and then came up again. So as these new botnets or these new exploits come out or as people release some of this code, some of this stuff comes back again. So here we see how 2323 has made a comeback. And this is the interesting one. We already covered it in the story about the Satori botnet. Just to show 30 days for this activity, you can really see you know, that sharp increase where all of a sudden uh, the botnet was to put into play. And we already talked about the precursor activity that happened earlier. But once the botnet was ready to go, you could see it went. And then we even read about the botnet command and controller sending the kill command so less scanning would happen. But it never quite went away. It's, it's yeah. still continuing and there's still activity and we're still seeing alerts for it. So you know, if there's any vulnerable devices, they could potentially become compromised. And I'm sure at this point, as usually happens, there's probably many more participants involved or other adversaries who've learned about this exploit uh, are trying to use it. Well, this is nice. <laughs> 445 TCP over a year. Now, up until this moment in time, it was pretty much the old exploits uh, that Conficker. we had, Conficker, and then there was this big news article about WannaCry. And there was a big outcry from the community and everybody banded together to try to do something about it. And they did, and the activity went down. But then, kind of as the response died down, this thing silently kept going and going and going. And you could see, this is also the number of devices scanning. The activity has reached a point, and for now it looks like some of it is going down. You know, we'll have to wait and see. We've seen things go up and down and then really up again. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. Uh, but it's really interesting. When we thought things were pretty bad here, uh, they seem to have gotten worse in terms of the number of devices infected and impacted. Yeah, that's interesting because I hadn't seen this in a while. And you know, clearly, up until this point, we'd never seen this thing even take a, you know, well, maybe a, a slight drop, but never anything significant. We're just now starting to see possibly either its first dip or, or perhaps maybe we're seeing a, you know, a decline in this that's going to con continue to head down. For me, uh, in terms of security, this was the year of the IoT botnet. You know, we studied a lot of these threats, some well-publicized, some less well-publicized. It's always interesting to sort of look back and reflect on the types of stories that we've covered on this show. And I think throughout this year, we've certainly covered quite a gamut of different stories. Today, I think we're were some uh, good examples of that. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.